We're in 1 John chapter 3, in verses 11 through 18. We're going to show a little video here, just to start out. Uh, as we looked at 1 John uh, chapter 3, the first thing, we had a talk about sonship. And so, uh, the Apostle John is talking to us about being a son of God and what comes with sonship, being born into the family of God. And then secondly, we had a talk about sin in verses 4 through 10. And remember, those were very difficult passages where we were sharing there's four different ways you can interpret that. Only one of them uh, can, a- can actually apply to a believer. Uh, one would say, well, if you're a Christian, then you don't sin. Well, yeah, but our experience tells us different than that. Or if you're a Christian, then you don't sin much. Well, uh, that, that is unless you have an area of your life, where you, a time in your life where you backslide. And I heard many years ago, my theological professor would say, uh, it, no matter what you believe about the Christian life, you have to have a place for backsliders because the Bible's full of them. And uh, the Apostle Peter denying Christ with swearing and yet... 50 days later, preaching at Pentecost. So, I mean, uh, there's times where we're not what we should be as believers, and then God speaks to our hearts. Uh, And then I talked about the fact that we don't sin because we're in Christ. The Bible says if we're in Him. So, because Christ is the payment for our sin, and He lives inside of us, that's why we don't sin, because all the sin of our life was paid for, and we have been declared righteous by God the very moment we trust Christ as our Savior. So you have positional uh, salvation, which is what God sees, and then practical, which is what you and I see. We still have our sin. We still have our disappointments and failures. And uh, I've been listening on... um, on uh, line on Audible about the life of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In fact, it's in two parts. 16 hours for the early years and 16 or 17 hours of, of reading a book online uh, and of his later years. Now, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the great preachers of the 18th century. Uh, as a young man of 21, 22, and 23, he'd have over 5,000 people come on Sundays to hear him. They eventually was preaching to 15,000 people. Uh, he wrote, all of his uh, sermons were in the London Times. So they wrote all of his sermons in the, in the um, city newspaper, and it went around the world. So I'm listening to that, and he talked about when he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior as a teenager and, and his experience with that, and that's what I want us to see. So let's put up the picture and let's play the video of what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says. This is not his voice, but this is his words. Days after I first found Christ, when my joy had been such that I could have danced for very mirth at the thought that Christ was mine, on a sudden I fell into a sad fit of despondency. I can tell now why it was so with me. When I first believed in Christ, I am not sure that I thought the devil was dead, but certainly I had a kind of notion that he was so mortally wounded that he could not disturb me. And then I also fancied that the corruption of my nature had received its death blow. I read what Camper said. Since the dear hour that brought me to thy foot and cut up all my follies by the root. And I really thought that the poet knew what he was saying. Whereas never did anyone blunder so terribly as Cowper did when he said that. For no man, I think, has all his follies thus cut up by the roots. However, I fondly dreamed that mine were. I felt persuaded they would never sprout again. I was going to be perfect. I fully calculated upon it. And lo, I found an intruder I had not reckoned upon an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 
So I went to that same primitive Methodist chapel where I first received peace with God through the simple preaching of the word. The text happened to be, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There, I thought, that's the text for me. I had just got as far as that in the week. I knew that I had put my trust in Christ, and I knew that when I sat in that house of prayer, my faith was simply and solely fixed on the atonement of the Redeemer. But I had a weight on my mind, because I could not be as holy as I wanted to be. I could not live without sin. When I rose in the morning, I thought I would abstain from every hard word, from every evil thought, and look. And I came up to that chapel groaning, because when I would do good, evil was present with me. The minister began by saying, Paul was not a believer when he said this. Well, now, I knew I was a believer, and it seemed to me from the context that Paul must have been a believer too. Now I am sure he was. The man went on to say that no child of God ever did feel any conflict within. So I took up my hat and left the chapel, and I have very seldom attended such places since. They are very good for people who are unconverted to go to, but of very little use for children of God. That is my notion of Methodism. It is a noble thing to bring in strangers, but a terrible thing for those that are brought in to sit and feed there. It is like the parish pound. It is a good place to put sheep in when they have strayed, but there is no food inside. They had better be let out as soon as possible to find some grass. I saw that that minister understood nothing of experimental divinity, or of practical heart theology, or else he would not have talked as he did. A good man he was, I do not doubt, but utterly incompetent to the task of dealing with a case like mine. What I was playing to you there was him explaining that he was so excited about getting saved. But after five days, he started getting depressed. And he got depressed because he had envisioned that when you get saved, of course, the devils defeat it and thought that your sin nature just flees. And you never are bothered by uh, actions of sinful uh, things again. But he found out that his own evil heart still beat within him. And uh, he was saying, uh, he goes on and he says, I went to my grandfather who was a pastor. And I sat down and I said, now grandfather, I must not be a Christian. Though I have trusted Christ as my Savior, and I know that Jesus Christ died for sinners, and I'm a sinner, and I've trusted him as my Savior, and yet I still sin. I must not be a Christian. And his grandfather laughed when he said that. He said, Dear Charles, when you were a child of the devil, why would he need to bother you? You already belonged to him. But it was only when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you became a child of God. And so now he throws his whole arsenal at you. And that's why you have such temptations and failures. It's because you are God's child that the devil brings out his attack against you. And I thought that that so was fitting to what we discussed in verses 4 through 10 of 1 John chapter 3. Now tonight we're looking at the love that God gives. And we're looking at verses 11 through 18. So let's look and read what the Bible says here, starting at verse 11, reading down through uh, verse 18. The Bible says, For this is the message that she heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, 
good, and see this brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts from your word. Show us what your word says and how to apply it to our lives. And Holy Spirit, you be the teacher through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we see that we've talked about sonship. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And God has made us his children the very moment we trusted Christ as our personal Savior. And then he talks about sin, uh, how that is not a part of a Christian's life. And the only obvious way is that we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we still deal with sin? Yes, we do. Are we still tripped up by sin? Yes, we are. But in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, our account in heaven says, paid in full. Not by us, but by Jesus, our Savior. And now we look at the talk about love. So John is speaking to these Christians, and this is one of those general epistles, so it's not to any specific group of Christians, it's just Christians. And so he talks about how we ought to love one another. And first we see the command in verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, this is a command, but the command is implied. The reason is, is because this is what God tells us as believers to do. And because it comes from God, it is indeed a command. Because God does not give us heavenly suggestions. God's word is authoritative. What he says, he means. And what he means, he means to be authoritative. Now, the good news is that whatever God tells us as believers to do, God empowers us as believers to do. It is both in, in, it is in God both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he gives us the will to do it, and he gives us the capacity to do it. And that is a supernatural love that comes when Christ indwells us. He brings that. We don't manufacture that. We don't say, oh, now I'm a Christian. Now I have to love. Oh, I have to love. No, you trust Christ and he brings that love in. Part of that fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So Jesus teaches us how to love. But he's going to talk to us about love in a very practical sense as well. So the commandment is implied. Remember in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking. And he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples and that ye have love one for another. Now, the most amazing thing about this command to love others is he says, you are to love others as I have loved you. Now, how does God love us? With a perfect love, with a forgiving love, with a sustaining love, with a uh, undeserving love. And yet that's exactly how God says we are to love other brothers and sisters in Christ, just like he loves us. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, we read as we went through uh, chapter 2, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Now, the idea of the love that John is uh, speaking of here is not an emotion, but it's an emotion that leads to action. So in other words, an emotion all by itself, that's not it. But an emotion that comes from God that stirs us to respond to the needs of other believers around us especially is what he's talking about that. He's saying in essence that we ought to have a tender-hearted 
uh, feel toward each other. We ought to be tender-hearted toward each other. And when we speak, it ought to be words of kindness and express ex- uh, affection as brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to speak very kindly to each other as, as Christians. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The love that Jesus Christ gives is a love that naturally is expressive, and especially to other believers, who the Bible says is our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when we love like that, practical things should be that we should go out of our way to greet people. We should be very kind when we speak to each other. We should be very thoughtful. We should be very complimentary. We ought to be uplifting. We ought to be encouraging. We shouldn't be demeaning. We shouldn't avoid one another. I don't want to talk to them. No, I'm going to look the other way. I'm not going to do that. Well, that's not Christ's love. What if Christ did that to us every time we didn't look so good as a believer? Every time we messed up, you know, God said, oh, I thought that was one of my children. No, I don't guess so. No, that's not the way he responds. Even when we're not so lovely, he responds in love. He treats us like we're his favorite children. He loves on us. He supports us. He encourages us. He believes in us. Sometimes even when we don't believe in ourselves, we see the word of God says Jesus believes in us. And so that's the way we are to respond with each other. And John is stating that in uh, verse 11. And now he's going to give us a negative example in verses 12 and 13. And this negative example comes from the first uh, of the brothers that were born to Adam and Eve, and that's Cain and his response to Abel. The Bible says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. So what did Abel do that got his brother so upset that he would kill him? The only thing he did is he offered an appropriate sacrifice. He did a righteous act. He did what God wanted. He offered a lamb. And Cain got so upset because his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his sacrifice, which was the fruit of his garden, was rejected. And Jesus said, now Cain, or God is speaking to Cain, he says, why are you so distraught? Why are you so angry? If If you are not doing well, He says, sin lieth at the door. Now, what's interesting about Hebrew is that word means sin offering. So literally, what God was saying to Cain is, if if you're upset, why don't you make it right? Here at the door of the tent is a sin offering. There's a lamb right there. Sin offering. That's the Hebrew word, lieth at the door. You can make it right, right now. But the Bible says he was of that wicked one. He was not listening to God, but he was listening to the devil. Well, that's what happens when you realize your parents listen to the devil in their life too, right? That's why they got kicked out of the garden. So they couldn't say, why do you listen to the devil? Well, mom, because you... Dad, you know, uh, well, sometimes we wonder why our kids do wrong until we think, oh, yeah, I I think I did a little too. So, uh, as they say, the apple doesn't always fall far from the tree. 
And so it was with Cain, but to have such a thing as to kill his brother, he was literally doing the devil's work. And there was no reason, there was no provocation by Abel. He just didn't like the fact that his brother was accepted and he was rejected. And when he had an opportunity to make it right, he refused that instead of making it right. Now, as a Christian, there are going to be times where we are contrary to other believers. There's times where we might get in the flesh and say something we shouldn't have said. There might be times we made a promise and we didn't keep it. There might be times that we uh, said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be at that meeting and you didn't show up. But what's our response as a Christian? We say, I'm sorry. We make it right. And that takes humility, doesn't it? To get right with our brothers and sisters. I know as a parent, there were times where I disciplined one of my children and then later got all the facts. And now I can say, well, I'm the father, so they ought to just know that. And No, I'd have to go and say, you know, dad was wrong. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. As a pastor throughout the years, there's been times where I've said a word in haste to someone. And I've had to go back and say, listen, I, you asked me something and I, I gave you an answer, but I was short with you. And I just want to apologize. And they, they said, Pastor, it's okay. You were busy. That, that's, no, no, no. It was wrong. It was wrong. You know, the greatness of your Christianity can be boiled down to, are you willing to humble yourself and say, I was wrong? That's the love that Christ would have us have for each other. Someone said, what's what's the key to a happy marriage? I'm sorry. You got to learn to say that word over and over again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And mean it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As one guy told us at a men's meeting, tell your wife, I'm sorry because I'm sorry. (laughs) That's why I'm sorry, because I'm so sorry. (laughs) I don't know if we have to say that, but I do know it's when we humble ourselves that we learn to get along and love. Because true love, true love can easily say, I'm sorry. Relationships is not about being right. It's about doing right, but not always have to be right. Yeah, I want to be right. I want to win the argument. I want to come out on top. Well, I'd like to say being on top can be a lonely position. You want to be right with your loved ones. And so humble yourself with that, and you will be right. The negative example, though love is a commandment from God, is not received by those who are not his children. Cain was not a follower of God. That is simple. That's why he's called a child of the devil. And so even though Abel was gracious and kind and loving, Cain was not. Thus, the Bible tells us we cannot expect nor be surprised when the world does not love us but especially and actually hates us because they hate God. Because of their hatred for God, they hate the children of God. As Cain hated his brother and killed him for doing wrong, the world hates you for the same reason. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 14, and here's what he says in verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me, Before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. 
But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So what is there about us Christians that the world would hate? Oh, you troublemakers. What, what trouble are we causing? Well, because you believe in God. Well, yeah, I do. But why is that trouble? Because you believe our lifestyle's wrong. Well, I never said that. Well, yeah, but you, you believe it's wrong. I said, well, God says it's wrong. And I believe God. But I didn't get in your face and say that to you. I just stood, I just stand on what God says. And I believe what God's word does, says. And I'm going to stand on that. But I didn't preach to you. I know, but I hate you for what you stand for. I didn't, I didn't make this up. I found it in God's word. And John is using a negative example of Cain, how not to love. Don't be upset with others because they stand for righteousness. Our response toward those who are hateful to us, what is that? Oh, I'm going to ignore them or I'm going to be hateful in return. No, that's, that's not what the Bible tells us as believers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus is going to tell us how do we respond to our enemies or people who hate us? It says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What's our response? Pray for them. Try to be kind to them. Try to show the Christ, love of Christ to them. Try to win them over. Overcome evil with good. Uh, Jesus, it is said of him, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Don't be reactionary. Don't give what you got. And we're to love by grace to each other as well as the lost world. We're to be kind to them. And you and I ought to be kind to all men. In verses 14 and 15, we see another proof of salvation being given by God. And by proof of salvation, I don't mean there's anything that's added to faith. I mean that when you trust Christ as your Savior and place faith in Christ, there is a work that he does And as a result of that, his love becomes a part of you. And you know that you know God because of what he is doing on the inside. And the Bible says in verse 14 and 15, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, let me ask you this. Are all Christians easy to love? Are all Christians, now ask yourself this, are all Christians as easy to love as you are easy to love? Well, we certainly ought to be easy to love, but we ought to love easily. No, not everyone's easy to love, but are we commanded to love them? Yes, we are. And so we have our homework uh, made out for us, don't we? We have to work on that. And how will that be accomplished? Do we start thinking about all the good things about them and see if their good outweighs their bad? What if it doesn't? Or do we just yield to Christ more and since he already is love, he helps us to be loving since he already lives inside of us. He already is love. And if we will yield to him, then his love will be experienced in our, in our lives. The Bible says, He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So a proof of our salvation is we know we pass from death and unto life because we love the brethren, because that's not natural. 
We love to be with other Christians. And it's not because we're all just the most lovable group of people on planet Earth. It's just that God has put a supernatural love for other believers in us. And you know, I find that all over the world. Whether, whether I go to Africa or South America or Asia or Europe, whenever I'm around other believers, there's this common bond and sometimes I can't even speak their language and they can't speak mine. But we smile at each other because we know we both have Jesus in our heart. And Jesus is that communication between one Christian and another. And we get to fellowship with each other. Now, I want to challenge you that if we are not expressing that love to all of our Christian brethren, something's wrong with us. Something's not right with us. And I know, I've pastored long enough where someone would say, yeah, but they hurt me. Well, okay, I understand that. But you know, the world sort of hated Jesus too. They sort of nailed him to a tree. They sort of crucified him. And yet on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the Bible still says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus is not only our Savior, he's also our example. And he tells us to love others as I have loved you. He loves with grace. He does not love us because we deserve it. He does not love us because we're loving. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And he says, that's how I want you to love. I want you to love other believers, not because you think they're worthy of your love. Not because you think they've done something that earns your love. Or they're especially nice to you. But I want you to love other believers because that's who I am. That's the nature of Christ. And if Christ is in us, which he is if we place faith in Christ, Christ wants us to exhibit not our love, not our love, but his love. His love. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And that's what he wants. He wants to shine out of these earthen vessels that you and I have. And that best way to show is to shine out the love of Christ is to show love because that is not generated from the nature of this world. That does not come from human nature. That comes from Christ. John 13, 35 again, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you have love one for another. Now, now, let me just tell, just say, if we have a hard time loving each other inside the walls of a church, we don't have a hope doing it outside. Every time we gather together is a prime opportunity for us to start showing love for each other because the very love we show for each other inside the walls of this place is the same love he wants to show to a lost world outside these walls. But if we can't get it right in here, we're certainly not going to get it right out there. So every time you come to church, use this as an opportunity to be kind and thoughtful and complimentary and... Uh, to build each other up. The Bible says, edify one another, build each other up. And that's what God's plan for us is. So really, church is the time we practice on what we ought to show the world all week long. Let's practice inside the walls what Christ wants us to do outside the walls. 
And then we have the divine example of love. In 1 John uh, 3.16, it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now perceive the love of God. How, how do we perceive that? Because God laid down his life for us. That's how we know he loves us. He died for us. Now it's interesting in this verse, we're going to see that the deity of Christ is mentioned. And you're going to see that. Now if you just read it over very quickly, you might not see that. But read what it says. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he, he, who's, who's that? He laid down his life for us. Now, that's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus laid down his life for us. But notice what it said before that. Hereby perceive we the love of God. He laid down his life for us. So what that verse is showing is that Jesus is God. And that's exactly what we see in other scriptures. It's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to express in the record of the word of God that Jesus Christ is indeed God in flesh. Hereby perceive we the love of God. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit tries to use every opportunity to say over and over again, Jesus is God in flesh. And if he was not God in flesh, he could not have been our Savior. Because only God could die in time for everyone outside of time. For the rest of humanity. Only Jesus could do that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And remember, as we looked over that verse, that word bestowed is an aorist tense of Greek, which means the very second you trust that Christ is your Savior, it was settled that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew not him. So we have this love for Christ And we can see it because Christ died for us. He showed us how to love, sacrificial love, dying for others. Now, he doesn't ask us to die for others, but he does say that we're to have a sacrificial love for each other. So if we love someone and say, yeah, but they're really hard to love. I know it's a sacrifice. Love anyway. If it was easy... Everybody would do it. But it's God's command for us to love one another and to love as Christ loves us. First John chapter, uh, I mean, Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet, what's that word? Sinners, Christ died for us. So how did God express his love? He died for us when we were unloving. He died for us when we were uncaring. He died for us when we were unworthy. And that's the kind of love that God wants us to have. Now, I know even when we come to church, it's so easy to love people we like. It's so easy to love people who are like us. It seems really hard to love people who, you know... We don't get along with easy. And yet that is the very test of are we letting Christ shine in our life? Who are we loving? When we can love all people, especially God's people, especially in the walls of a church, wherever you are, when you're with other Christians, can we pass that test of loving each other as Christ loves us undeservedly? They don't have to do anything for us. They don't have to like us. They don't have to 
think well of us. They don't have to say kind words to us. I'm just going to love them because I know they're a child of God and Christ commands me to do that. So the kind of love that Christ has for us is not based on our merit, right? He doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. And that is exactly the kind of love that Christ is telling you and I to have for each other. Not a love that's based on whether someone deserves it or not. He's saying, if you have a heart for me, you will love like I love. Which is a love that extends grace. I love you in spite of yourself. (laughs) Now, I, I wouldn't suggest you say that to some other Christian, okay? But sometimes we are tempted to feel that way. I'm going to love that person anyway. But we love because who God has made us with salvation and the work of sanctification that God has done in our hearts. So we love because of who we are. Not because of who you are or who you are or who other Christians are, but we love because of who we are in Christ. I am his ambassador. I am his representative. As he is, so are we in the world, the Bible says. Now we finally come to the practical implication. How do you work out this love in a practical way? 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. But whoso hath this world's goods, good, and see this brother, see his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So what's the practical expression? Find a need and meet it. Find someone who needs something, a believer. The Bible says we should do good to all men, but especially they of the household of faith. So we find a need. We see something that someone needs. Um, Maybe a child needs some shoes. Maybe uh, they need help with this or that. Maybe a young couple is going through a rough time and needs some help. Maybe a senior in our church needs help and uh, their yard needs help and they can't get out there and work like they used to and somebody needs to cut their yard or trim their bushes or uh, cut back a tree or do this or do that. If you and I can find practical expressions of love, that's what God's saying to do right here. How do you have it in the capacity to meet a need and you see a need and you say, no, not going to do it? Here's the question. John says, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, he's not trying to decide you're saved or not saved. He's not saying that. But he is certainly saying If you see a need and it doesn't move something in your heart to try to meet that need, when you have the ability to do that, then something's wrong. You need need to check some things out in your life because we're not listening to Christ. Because when he saw a need, he was motivated. The Bible says when he looked on the multitude's He was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep wandering around with no shepherd. And when we see a need and we have a capacity to meet that need, now it's not saying empty your checking account. Uh, that That wouldn't be hard anyway, but empty your bank account, get rid of all you have. No, he's not saying that. But he's saying you have an ability to be a blessing to someone. Be a blessing to someone. You have an ability to meet a need that someone has. You you meet that need. This last uh, Sunday, not only did we have Grandparents' Day, and we 
We fed about 150 or more uh, people. Uh, I'd ask Brother Pete Munsterman if he'd cook for us. Sure, I'll cook for him. And then, and then he got help together. He got Brent helping him out there, and they're barbecuing chicken. And then he works on the other food and gets helpers in there, and they prepare the food. And, and now we have to have uh, people to help serve. And uh, there were so many seniors said, I'll, I'll serve. I mean, we had more people offering to serve tables than what we needed. And seniors were just glad to serve other seniors. And then I said, well, you know, what, what we don't have is desserts. How many can bring a dessert? And we had enough dessert to feed the whole church. I mean, honestly, we had so many desserts, I think we all went home diabetic, sugar high, and, uh, and still we couldn't eat it all. Still we had to take them home. And, uh, and by the way, it, it's, it's not because everybody, you know, you take one piece. No, we had a contest. It was a little bitty thing, but how high can you pile the desserts? Now, we didn't make it official, but I saw some people competing. And it was like pie and pie, cake and pie, and then, you know, everything, cookies. It, it was amazing what, what you could put on a little bitty plate. But now, I'm telling you, it was all so good. If you had a little taste, you wanted more. Uh, now, I say all that to say this. There were people who said, let me serve. That's what I can do. Some would say, I, I can't cook all that much, but I can take the food to the tables. And you know, not only that, but the seniors put all the tables away, all the chairs away, and clean the floor. So they didn't just get served and say, well, I'm going to go home and let the young people do that. No, no, the seniors did that. They cleaned up after themselves. You and I can find practical expressions to show the love of Christ to others. We don't have to look around the world, let's serve some people on the other side of the planet. Well, that's fine. Let's send them money from time to time. But, but you can find people in, in the walls of these buildings that need serving. And they're all around us. This afternoon, I was in my office. And by the way, if you're looking, I've got a different office, but I've, got, I've, got a, I've downsized a little bit. And uh, so I'm in the office there, and I had one of our, I think a third grade girl, she might be in fourth grade, she came by and said, Pastor, could you sign my Bible? I said, yes. And she said, and would, would you write something in there? She said, I'm, I'm a little sad. Said, my grandfather passed away two days ago. I said, honey, I am so sorry. So I wrote a paragraph there and tried to encourage her and signed it. I said, let me pray with you. And she came over and we prayed and I asked the Lord to just encourage her. And she said, you know, pastor, my granddaddy loved you. I said, wonderful. He said, he always said, that brother Mutzler is such a good guy. He's a great pastor. I love him. He said, my grandfather loved you. I said, wonderful. I said, that's so kind of you to say. I said, well, I want you to know that God loves you. And one of these days, you and I will go to heaven and we'll see your grandfather again. And she left. And then I thought to myself, I wonder who her grandfather was. I forgot to ask. But I'm so glad he loved me. Good man. I already know that. I just wanted to try to encourage her. Her grandfather passed away. 
Now, we don't know it, but things like that happen to our members every single week. Somebody they love is sick. Somebody they love has passed away. Someone they love maybe got in trouble. And they're hurting. And you and I have an opportunity just to say a good word and encourage them. And let's do that as believers because that's the love that Christ wants us to have. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the challenge of your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers to show forth not our love, but the love of Christ that is within us and help us to love with grace and help us to love sacrificially as you gave your life for us. Help us to love sacrificially to others. Lord, do a work in my heart and do a work in every Christian's heart that's here and is listening online. And Lord, we love you and we want to show your love and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet and as we have the piano play, let God talk to your heart about your life. Let's bow our heads and and ask the Lord to help us to love like he loves. Help us to be expressive in how we feel toward other people. God bless you. So good to have each one of you here with us. Now, remember that this Sunday, uh, we're celebrating Veterans Day. And so it's going to be patriotic songs, flags all over the place. If you know someone who's a veteran, please invite them. We're going to make them feel special because our freedoms were purchased by the efforts of our veterans. And we are so grateful and thankful for them. Uh, God bless you, and you are dismissed.